0: Welcome. Hey. Um, If you have a Bible or perhaps a phone with a Bible on it, uh, just encourage you to turn to the book of Mark. Uh, We've been working our way through the book of Mark, just looking at who Jesus is and and seeing the things that he gets up to, seeing the things that he says. And we have got to chapter eight. And if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. It's going to appear on the screen behind me. So chapter eight, verse one, let's read. Seven, And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away, and immediately... He got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread... And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the and the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? So we see Jesus here do a miracle that he has done before. Right? It's a very specific miracle. Jesus is out there. He's, he's preaching. He's teaching. And all the people are listening, but they have no food. And Jesus, because he's compassionate for the people that he's, he's teaching, says, oh, I, we need to feed them. And the disciples go, oh, what are we going to do? We don't have any bread. We have some bread and fish, but not enough for everyone. And then Jesus takes it, multiplies it, and feeds thousands of people. And that's what we see Jesus do here. But it's not the first time we, we see Jesus do this. He did this back in chapter six, where at the end they gather in all the baskets and the and the amount of fish and the amount of bread that they have at the at the end is more than they actually started off with, so Jesus does this miracle again, second time, and immediately afterwards the the scribes of the Pharisees turn up again. It's good to see them again. It seems like it seems like every week for the last two months when we open the book of Mark, it seems like we've seen other. Uh, the, the scribes of the Pharisees are back again. And if this is your first time uh, with us, the, the scribes of the Pharisees, these are the, the, the uber-religious people. These are the, the, the people who have the brightest and the best. And they've come all the way down, all the way down from Jerusalem to, to see what the fuss is about with Jesus and to, and to really sort him out. I mean, the, the thing that it says here, they, they, came to, they came to argue with him. They came to pick a fight with Jesus. And they say to Jesus, okay, Jesus, give us a sign. Jesus, give us a sign. And what they're asking for here is, Jesus, give us a miracle. Do, you know, come on, prove to us that you really are who you say you are. Prove to us that the power you have comes from heaven, that you, can't, you, are, sent, you are heaven sent. Prove to us. Come on. And as, as is often the case with the Pharisees, what is, uh, what is happening on the surface does not match up. With what is really going on on the inside, right? This is this is something we've seen in previous weeks. Uh, Jesus, this is his main problem with the Pharisees. He, I mean, he he's very blunt towards the Pharisees. He says things like, "Okay, you, you hypocrites," he says, you're, the, "On the outside, the, the superficial appearance is just skin deep. This, oh, you're, you're so religious and you're so pious and you're so holy on the outside, but on the inside, you're sick." There's, there's a problem on the inside, and you won't even acknowledge that that is the case. You see, what the, what the Pharisees are saying to Jesus here, it, on the out on, on the outside, maybe at the first glance, at first listen, it sounds like what they're saying is actually something quite humble. Okay, well, Jesus, you know, we we want to be sure. You know, we want to be sure. We want to believe, but we, you, you've got to. Prove to us. Oh, you know, we don't want to just follow some false prophet. We don't want to. Oh no, no, no. We don't want to do that. We want to make sure that you really are from, from heaven. And it sounds humble, in a kind of cautious and and careful kind of way. But actually, we've got to see this. They they don't want to believe at all. We dig a little deeper, and what we discover is that there's no humility there. What they're saying to Jesus is, "Okay, Jesus, we'll believe, but if we do believe." It's going to be on our ter- terms right we 're going to believe on our terms you 've got to jump through all of my hoops. you have to meet my expectations you 've got to fit in my my box of of what we already think God is like. This is not the Pharisees trying to believe here. This is an attempt by the Pharisees to at, a, at an even more determined unbelief in who they think God is truly like, you know Every, every week here at Gray City, we have people um, who are with us who, who, who don't follow Jesus. Uh, maybe, maybe that's you. you. You came in for a coffee this morning and then just, oh, okay, I, I guess I'm going to church today. I guess I'm a church person now. Maybe that's you. And my, my, my encouragement to you uh, this morning, it, if you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, your, put, your, put your trust uh, in, in Jesus, is my encouragement will be don't have the approach to Jesus that the Pharisees have here, because it, it is possible to in investigate Jesus without actually investigating him at all right to, to, to have this approach, okay God, if you are real you 've got to do this and that if you are real, and if you are real you 've also got to be like this and you have to be like that and you might ask well what, what is the problem with that approach to god well the the only the only God you are proving or disproving there is a God who has to do everything you want. A God who has to jump through all of your hoops and, and meet all of your expectations. And, and if I may say, that's a very small God who, who has to jump through all of your hoops. I would say that that's not even a God worth seeing. You know, if, if you're not a, a Christian here this morning, um, con- consider being, being very careful with the thinking, if there is a God, he has to play by my rules. Because may I suggest the danger here is that you may miss out on the reality of who God really is. And I would say the reality is what's important. You know, we can have all sorts of expectations, can't we, of, of what God should be like. All sorts of expectations, right? We can have... Uh, let me give you some examples, right? So, cultural expectations. None of us, none of us live in a bubble. We we live with all, all sorts of people, and we can our, our thinking can so often be very deeply influenced in ways we don't truly understand by those that we those that we live with. Let me give you an example. So, back in um, back in England, uh, where I'm where I'm from, uh, something some friends of mine used to do with me. We we would go out. Uh, so I am from a place called Eastbourne. It's about an hour south of, of London. And we'd, we'd go out on the streets of Eastbourne, the, the mean streets of Eastbourne. Um, it's not that mean, actually. Quite quite pleasant streets of Eastbourne. Probably put in some disabled parking or something like that. You know, so the, we'd go out on the, mean, the meanest streets of Eastbourne and we would just get in conversations with complete strangers about Jesus, just people we'd, we'd never met. And you'd be really surprised how excellent the conversations we would have. So I remember there was this... There was this one evening where me and my friend wendy we would um we would just ended up talking to this guy uh he must have been uh, almost 60 he he uh, he was from egypt he was a muslim he would um moved over to england for 10 years came came from a, a very very different culture and we, we we started talking with him about who we saw god to be you know what what is god like and what became quite quickly apparent is that there were some things with the Christian God of the Bible that he just could not accept, right? Oh, no, 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 he would say. No, God wouldn't come to earth. God wouldn't come close and dwell with people. No, that's not what God would do. No, God God wouldn't forgive his enemies. He's not a God of mercy. He's a God of of, of justice. He cares about sin. No, 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 God, God wouldn't die. God would not die, not on a cross. No, that's not what God would do. But here, here in the West, you see, we have a whole different set of cultural expectations for what we think God would be like, and therefore a whole different set of problems with the, God, the Christian God of the Bible. Now, we say things like, oh, no, 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 God, God wouldn't be angry with sin. Oh, he's, he's just cool with whatever. Oh, no, God, God wouldn't demand perfection from me. No, 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 no God wouldn't wouldn't require the the death of a perfect man in order to take... No, 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 that's not what God would would do. That's not what God would be like. You know, in Canada, we just want a God who is very, very nice and and, and jumps through all of our hoops and gives us what we want. But I think whatever our cultural expectations, whatever our personal expectations, we must see God for who he has revealed himself to be. Otherwise, what happens is we end up just standing around, and I say, well, I think God is like this. And then you say, well, I think God is actually like this. And we, we all have our own little view of our own little God, and we end up, it doesn't make sense. I, I do think that whatever expectations we have, we've got to set them aside, even if they offend us, because otherwise we deny reality. And I think reality is what is worth seeing. And see, for those of us in the room who are Christians... We need to do this very same thing. You know, The, the Pharisees, um, they, they want a sign from Jesus. They say, Jesus, come give us a sign. Give us a miracle. That's their expectation. They want a miracle from him. That's what they want. And the, the peculiar thing about the Pharisees asking Jesus for that is that he's just done this miracle. In fact, he's... Jesus has been doing nothing but miracles. He just does this big miracle involving thousands of people for the second time. It's peculiar. Why, why are the Pharisees asking? And you know what? By the way, Jesus is going to continue on doing miracles and healing people and setting people free and transforming people's lives. It's just what Jesus does. And the, and the Pharisees aren't satisfied with that. You know, Christians in the room, we, we can relate to God just like the Pharisees, can we not? We can say, okay, God, okay, God, if you are good, if you are indeed good, you have to do this for me, right? You've got to give me this thing. You know, I've been good. I've been good. I've, I've obeyed you. Um, I will follow you as long as X, Y, Z, right? If you, you've got to meet my expectations and my demands and, and prove yourself to me, and then I will trust you. That's what we can do. We can set up this kind of conditional relationship with God. The Pharisees have seen tons of miracles. Their thing is they just don't think they've seen one big enough uh, for them yet. And there, there is no miracle. There is no miracle that can satisfy them. No miracle big enough to, to earn their trust, earn their worship. The question for the Christian Um, uh, as well as for the one who is not yet a christian is well. how how then can i trust god how can i know how to put my trust in if if he doesn't prove himself through miracles and signs and wonders and big impressive look i am god then how how can i trust god i think that's a really important question for everyone for people who are christians people who are not yet christians how can i trust god good question a couple of people nodding okay good good enough I'm going to get to that question at the very end. So, you know, just keep you hanging, I guess. So, yeah, keep waiting. But let's, let's move on. Let's, let's, let's read the next bit. What Jesus says to his disciples is it will help us get there, I think. Jesus says this, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The reason I, I just think this is a, a funny story because Jesus, he, he gathers his disciples together and he cautions them. He says, Be careful beware, like, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. And then the disciples are just imagine they're there and going, hmm, good. And then they go and then Jesus catches them later talking about bread and going, we don't have any bread. I think Jesus wants some bread. Can we, can we figure out some bread? And Jesus is like, no, guys, you don't. I wasn't, I wasn't actually talking about literal bread here. It was, it was an illustration, and the disciples just don't, don't quite get it. So leaven, he says. Leaven, that's the, uh, the old word for, for yeast, now, I don't, uh, I don't bake my own bread. Um, some of you will. I mean, I do, <laughs> I do make my own pizza dough, but that um, says more about me, I think, than I would like. Um, that's, that's where I put the effort in. That's where I put the effort in. But J- Jesus uses this illustration, this, um, this picture of, of yeast within dough, because he, he wants us to see what it is that is so, so deadly about sin, that's what the yeast represents. It represents sin. So in what ways is, is yeast like sin? Here are three ways. I'm going to give you three ways that, that um, leaven, that yeast is like sin. Right? First, okay, it's hidden. It's hidden. You can't, you can't see it. Right? If I were to put before you two lumps of dough that I've just made, you know, early stages of dough, and say which, which one of these two uh, has, has the leaven in it, has the yeast in it, you wouldn't be able to tell because you cannot see sin too largely is a hidden thing. sin does its primary work uh, in, in the heart right in my heart you can 't see into my heart you don't get a, you can 't see what 's really going on here you can 't see my motives you can 't see my intentions. I can show you whatever I like on the surface, but you can 't see what 's really going on on the inside you now this, this is why this is why Jesus says, "Beware the, the yeast of the Pharisees." Because the Pharisees on the outside, they look so pure. They look like they've got it together. They're so holy, so pious. But it's on the inside that there's this deep, deep problem. Let me be clear, right? If there was among us this morning a a modern day Christian Pharisee, we would all be impressed by this person. They would come in and they would be so happy. And they're the whole family would be so happy. And they would be serving every week at church. And they would, um, uh, they, they would give to the offering just generously. And when they pray, oh, just glorious. They, 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 they've memorized all this scripture. And it's just so, uh, just, uh, so poetical. Yeah. You heard me. So, so poetical. so so poetical they just make up new words like Shakespeare would do we would be impressed by them wow they they are so holy they've got it together on the surface you know Jesus's whole point here is that the Pharisees it's the outside that you know is so nice and shiny but the inside is sick and Jesus says it's, it's what goes on on the inside that really matters it's possible. It's so possible for Christians to do the same thing. This isn't just those Pharisees. Whenever they show up in the story, we were boo. The Pharisees are here, and we imagine them—you know—the the bad people coming in to argue with Jesus. Like, no, we we Christians can do just the same thing as the Pharisees. On the outside, we sit here in church with a smile on our face, and everything's together. And actually, inside, we know we're running away from God. We're not doing the things that God would would delight in. We can do that, can't we? I know, I know I've, I've done that. So that's the first thing, okay? The first thing about yeast that is like sin is that it's hidden. What's the second thing? Second thing, yeast spreads rapidly, right? As soon as you add yeast uh, to some dough, soon, without, in, in almost no time at all, the whole thing will end up infected with yeast, which, of course, with bread, you you want that to be the case. But with sin, probably not, Probably not. What Jesus is saying here is, he says, when, when he says, "Beware, be, be careful." He cautions us. "Beware." Why? Because he doesn't want us to kid ourselves into thinking, "Oh, we can, we can control sin. We can play with it. We can just, um, we can negotiate with it." You but you can't do that. You can't say to sin, "Okay, you stay in this little section of my life here." And, and you know, th- thus far and no more. No, that is not how sin works. Of course it isn't. It's not how yeast works. You don't add a bit of yeast to some dough and then act shocked and offended and surprised when the whole lump rises. I only added yeast to this little bit here. No, that's not how, that's not how yeast works. That's not how sin works. You know, if if the bread analogy isn't doing it doing it for you, just imagine like imagine gangrene instead. You know. Is that doing it for you? Did you further bread analogy? No, just imagine. Like, imagine I've got, I've got gangrene in my left foot. I know it's amusing already, isn't it? I've uh, got gangrene. But look, I, surely it's not a problem if gangrene's in my foot. I mean, it's so far away from me, it's, it's all the way down there. In fact, it's probably closer to Shirley than it is to me. Why aren't you sorting out of the problem? And anyway, you can't even tell there's a problem here, can you, with gangrene? Because there's a shoe in the way. It's all good. It's all good. You'd be like, no, you don't need to be a doctor to see. That's not how you approach gangrene. Soon it spreads through the whole thing and it becomes a big problem. And it's just the same with sin. And we we can think that same silly way about sin. We can say, well, in every other area of my life, I'm obedient to God. I follow God. I can just have this one thing, right? I can just have, there's that, that one person I don't need to forgive him. Right. I don't. I I can keep sleeping with that person. Right. I I do everything else. I can just let myself have those nice, comfortable fantasies where I'm, you know, I can go to when I'm feeling down, or I just I I imagine how much money I have and just how I'm famous. I can have those comfortable fantasies that no one else knows about. I can do that, right? And Jesus says emphatically, No. That's not how sin works. I mean, the most, some of the most offensive things that Jesus says are about sin. Right? Some of the things that are most, uh, I don't know, use the of violent imagery, gory imagery, are about sin. So Jesus says, listen, if, if, your, if your hand causes you to sin, lop it off. If your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. He's saying, listen, guys, don't play with sin. Don't let this be, don't let this be the way that your life gets shipwrecked he's saying jesus is saying listen the approach you have to sin has to be either you kill sin or it kills you that's the way sin works sin spreads rapidly you know jesus is not saying literally cut off he's saying take take drastic approaches to because to, the way sin works it starts off as a small thing and you can't control it and it spreads there's no such thing as just one lie to one person that's just not how sin works so the first thing okay sin is hidden. Second thing, sin spreads. What's the third thing? Sin sours. This is something that yeast does, sours, right? If you want to make sourdough bread, I want bread that tastes sour for some reason. Really, if you want to do that, it, it, the, the way that happens is it's just a function of time. It's just you wait. You just let the, ye- the yeast do its thing in the dough for, for days, just let it. And the, and the longer you let the yeast sit in the dough, the more it sucks sweetness out of the dough and out of the bread. And you leave it for long enough and let the yeast suck. Or you leave it for long enough, all the sweetness is sucked out of the dough. It's the same with sin. Right? You, you, you let sin sit in your life. The longer it sits hidden the longer it's just allowed to, to spread and do its thing, the less sweet your life becomes, the more sour your life becomes. It's what sin does. Sin poisons. You know, I'll never forget this conversation I had with this guy. Um, just someone I'd known growing up in in the church back in, back in England, and I hadn't seen him for quite a few years. He'd gone away to university, got got a degree or two and um went to another church and and got married and even had a child and he came moved back to back to eastbourne where i'm from and i remember i hadn't seen him for ages so i we i saw him again at this prayer meeting i was like oh fantastic to see you and we, we had a great time worshiping and singing and, and praying this prayer meeting and you know there, there was this moment at the very end of the meeting where he just grabbed me at the end It'd be nice to see him nice to catch up and he took me to the side. It was everyone else was kind of leaving, and he just something was up. I could, you know, all clearly. And he just started to confess. He just started to confess to me. You know, I just was not ready for this. I was probably like twenty-two at the time. He just started to confess this fifteen-year-long pornography thing that had been in his life, and no one else had seen it. No one else had known. it And he had spread through. And you know, I was able to pray with the guy, but I, th- I think what, what struck me most, and the reason I, I don't think I'll ever forget that conversation was just, even before he started explaining, I looked at it and the, I'd never seen someone so miserable. I'd never seen such sadness in someone's eyes of just, this is uh, just the misery, the sourness. His life had, it had seemed, on the outside, everything's wonderful. Got a happy family, happy children, a happy wife, but on the inside, just sourness. That's what happens. That's what sin does when it's allowed to hide and allowed to spread. Beware, Jesus says. Be careful. Why? Because Jesus does not want this for you. God is not going, good, I'm glad, I hope your life gets sour. No, Jesus wants your life to be full of sweetness and full of life and full of joy. See, he doesn't want your life poisoned. He wants you to, to have life, and life abundantly. Life to even life in its fullness. This is what Jesus has for you. So those are the three things, right? Um, sin, uh, the way, ways that sin is like yeast is that it's, um, it's secret, uh, it, it spreads, and it sours. Which, if you notice, are three things, and they all begin with the same letter S, which that's like, for, for a preacher, that's like 20 bonus points. So I don't actually like how that feels, so I might I'll never never going to do that again. That's the the only time I'll ever do that. So so when when the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they say, okay, Jesus, we want a sign. What what is the answer to this, right? What is the answer to sin souring and spreading and being hidden and and robbing you of joy? Well, the the Pharisees say, okay, give us a sign. Do Do a miracle. And when they say to Jesus, give us a sign, do a miracle, what they're saying to Jesus is you owe me, Right? I've been good. I've been good enough. I I demand this from you. You owe me. And in saying you owe me, they deny grace. They deny grace. The only way to be cleaned up on the inside, you know, where it matters. You can clean up the outside all you like. Good luck, right? You clean up the outside very nice. Oh, so polished. and Everyone will be impressed. But to to clean up the inside, the only way is if you come to Jesus not with the approach of I I demand you do this. You owe me But rather with an approach of, oh, God, save me. Oh, Jesus, save me. I need you to come and do something in me that I cannot do. I can clean up the outsides, but I can't get in. I can't get anywhere near the heart. I can't get down to the soul where it matters. Come to Jesus. And here's what Jesus does. He changes you. He makes you new. He makes you a different creation from the one that you are now. Not based on anything you've done not based on your goodness and niceness and how well everything on the surface looks, but just because he is good, based on what Jesus has done. And then when you are a Christian, and for the Christians in the room, God continues to change you. He continues to, by his spirit, work him within you from the inside out, transform you to look more like Jesus. Incredible. You might be saying, Oh, how can I look like Jesus? No, this is what the spirit does. That sounds like a miracle. Exactly. It's the only thing that God can do in you. Only He can do, making you like Jesus. You know, there can be a proudness, right? A proudness that can remain if, if we're not careful. Oh, oh, I don't, I don't need to come to Jesus. I'm, I'm good. Thank you on my own. Thank you very much. Or perhaps that's not you, right? You're you're actually saying, you know, I'm not a proud person, Matt. I know what it is like to, to. To know the sourness, the sweetness sucking, horrible power of sin. I know that. I, I don't, I'm not proud. I don't, I don't think I'm a good person. I, I actually think, you know what, I actually hate myself this morning. Maybe that's you. You're just I, I hate myself. You know, there's, there's two kinds of proudness that you can have there's, there's the kind that says, oh, I, I'm too good for grace. And there's the other that, that says, I'm too bad for grace. There's one that says, I deserve God's favor. And there's the other that says, I, you know what, I don't want God's favor unless I've earned it. Earlier, I asked this question, how can I trust God? Right? If signs and miracles and wonders and big shows of God's power is not how, what, what Jesus decides to do, that's not how we get our trust in him, how? How can I know that he is trustworthy? And it's this, on the cross, Jesus dies for you, the innocent one is nailed to a cross, and he is crushed instead of you. His insides utterly pure his outside as well utterly pure yours not, but he dies for you what here's the question what more could God do for you than that? what more could what what more could you say okay god that that was good but actually I'd like you to do this as well no there's nothing bigger than that God comes to you and gives himself up to death and dies for you there's nothing greater that he could do that he hasn't already done for you this is what we must see if we see what jesus has done for you we can go, okay whatever he asks of me i don't understand all the ramifications of what it would mean for me to become a christian right now but all i know is that he's died for me and because he's done that i i, I can no one else has done that for me and i trust other people so i'm going to trust jesus with my life that's we've got to see jesus for what he has done for us and for the christians fighting in the room fighting sin which by the way is all of us i hope not like those christians over there those christians fighting sin no we we need to be reminded of the same thing that you are because of jesus because of jesus's death on the cross you are dead to sin that's not who you are anymore you don't live in sin an object of god's wrath anymore that's not who you are you are dead to sin you are alive in jesus because he lives because he is seated at the right hand of the father so you live and in fact spiritually that is also where you are you are seated in heavenly places sin has no power over you because sin was defeated on the cross it was nailed to and it died with jesus that's what's happened to your sin you need to know that truth you need to know that truth you need Jesus's strength. Need the strength of God. You, you can't do this alone. Don't even try. Don't try to do it alone. You need to come to Him. It's what we do when we gather on a Sunday morning: is to fix our eyes on the cross, to fix our eyes on the source of all the power that we have in our lives, where that comes from. It doesn't look like a big victorious moment. Oh, there's a man dying on a cross, but it is the moment where sin is utterly defeated. You haven't been left alone. Oh, good news. The Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, has been given to you to help you, to empower you from the inside out, to change you. And he is changing you because he's promised to do that. He's changing you this morning. That's what he's doing. We have to see the cross. We have to see the source of all the victory in our lives. And that's why there's no better response to what we've heard from Jesus, what we've heard from God's word this morning, than than to stand and sing about what he has done. And to come to the table and take communion together with our brothers and sisters, reminding one another of what, of of tasting, tasting and seeing that what God has done is good. For anyone in the room who, who just over the course of me speaking, something has just clunked into place. And you just go, I, beforehand, I don't think I could trust God, but I've been reminded that Jesus has died for me. And if that is true, and I think it is true, then I can trust in him. If that is you this morning, and you want to, you want to become a Christian this morning, I just encourage you, same thing I say every week, come and find me at the end. I would love to pray with you. I'd love to introduce you to this Jesus. There's no test. There's nothing big. It's just what I'd love to pray for you, if that is you. But would you like to stand with me? or invite Holly and Emily back up. And we are going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Father, thank you that because of what Jesus has done, what, what Jesus has won for us, we get to come to you and say, Father that we have been adopted in, that because of Jesus, everything has been changed, Lord, that you come in, you come deep within to the stuff we can't even get to ourselves, the insides, where it matters, where it counts. Oh, God, thank you that you come and you take up residence within us, that in that way we we are temples of the living God. The Almighty lives with us. He is close, he is for us, he delights in us, all because of Jesus. God, I thank you that there's nothing more I can do nothing more I, 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 I have to do Lord I am free to live in the joy knowing that sin is dead, it died on the cross with Jesus that it has no power over me. Lord I pray that your Holy Spirit in this room for every believer here Lord that your spirit would make true to them that fact that that cannot be reversed that, that sin is dead that as much as it tries it can there's nothing stopping. The, the rooting out and the destruction the, uh, of death in their lives. Lord, I, I ask that, Holy Spirit, you would also comfort. Lord, that you would also come and remind them of grace, freely given. Lord, remind us, O God, of the cross. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.